It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Thanks so much for tuning in. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. The phone number, 201-939-4513. You can also turn to Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So not the result that the Giants were hoping for, a lopsided affair in favor of the Bucs as Tampa Bay cruised to a 30-10 to victory on Monday Night Football as the Giants now fall to 3-7, and 1-4 and on the road and the Bucks bounce back after they lost two straight as they are now 7-3 and three overall on the season. And the primetime issues continue for the Giants. Believe it or not, they've lost 10 straight going back to November 12, 2018 when they won in San Francisco 27-23. to So obviously we will break it all down. We'll also get your reaction as we move forward here. And Paul, we talked about this last night on the WFAN Giants radio network. So let's rehash some of our main takeaways. Clearly... It was not a pretty day all around, but I want to focus more on the offense because you look at the 10 points and the lone touchdown was when the Giants got the ball at the Tampa Bay five-yard line as a result of an Adoree Jackson interception. So you have to provide the context where you got your offense, for the most part, back to full health. Saquon was back, Andrew Thomas was back, and despite all of that, the Giants only managed to move the ball to get themselves in scoring position once, meaning earning it the hard way over the course of this game against the Tampa Bay secondary that was not fully healthy, was having its fair share of ups and downs, and the defense overall was not nearly as stingy as we saw throughout the latter part of the 2020 season. Well, I think twice they got themselves in scoring position. On the first drive of the game, they went 13 plays, 56 yards, and got the field goal. And then to start the third quarter, they went six plays and 50 yards, and they stalled on the fourth and one at the Tampa 25. That's scoring position. Uh, And I, by the way, I was in favor of going for the fourth and one. Uh, Obviously, it did not work out very well. But I do think that they needed to go for the fourth and one. You could debate all you like about the play selection. I'm not going to go there right now other than to say I I think it was a good move to go for the fourth down. So uh, that's it. Outside of those two drives, this offense did nothing. And in fact, probably did more to hurt the team's chances to win than help. 100%. And I'm with you in terms of going it third on the fourth and one, because the bottom line is you're not going to beat Tampa Bay with field goals. Correct. So even if you took the three points there, it would have been a 17-13 game. And listen, I don't know how games are going to play out. It's hypothetical arguments. I understand that. But the way the offense performed the rest of the way, I think it's fair to say with their struggles on offense, the three points was not going to do much of anything to change the momentum of this game. So I have no problem with them going for it. Unfortunately, a lot went wrong on that play. And let's dissect that here for a second, Paul, before we get into other things, because I think it's important to note, leading up to that fourth and one, they didn't get out of the huddle till about seven seconds left on the play clock. You had a substitution where you brought Matt Paird in, and then you rolled out. Daniel Jones was pressured. So he had to get rid of the ball. It was really doomed, I would argue, Paul, before they even snapped the ball. (sighs) Yeah, you know, I listened to you and and Jeff talk about that last night while we were doing the the, uh, post-game show. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, now, again, we're we're certainly welcome to disagree on this. Uh, If there was any problem or consternation that they were taking too long to get that play off, then you just simply have to call timeout. Sure. I mean, you know, if that's a problem, if you don't think that's a problem, then you go ahead and run whatever play it is that you called. So I'm going to just counter and say if they thought that the timing of the snap was not good and that they were rushing it and that it was a little discombobulated, the obvious answer there is then they should have called timeout. And they didn't, which makes me think that they did not feel uncomfortable running the play. And that could very well be the case. Listen, we're only going based on the optics of the situation. At least that's how I'm analyzing it, Paul. I don't know what was said through the helmets, sure. through the huddle, None and of so us do. forth. So, you know, it's just my takeaway. And the other thing that I noticed on somewhat of an unrelated note, do you remember there was a play in this game yesterday 
when Saquon was in the backfield, he throws his hands up to try to get in communication with Daniel Jones. I don't know if you remember when in that game. And, I mean, that was another example of guys just not being on the same page. To me, it appeared, once again, from an optics standpoint, that Saquon was unsure of what exactly he was supposed to do on the play. He was actually targeted on that play because he ran out of the backfield towards the flat and got a dump off. But if you remember before the snap again, it was one of those circumstances, Paul, where it was like, well, why is this happening again? Yeah, I, I don't remember that specific play, Lance. I mean, there were there were a lot of things last night that I'd like to forget, quite frankly. But <laughs> uh, in terms of going going through it, I, there were a lot of things that were off kilter last night, including Daniel Jones, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel bad for him because he certainly picked a poor night to have his worst game of the season. Um, at the same time. He is by far uh, low on the list of many people who need to, uh, you know, kind of reevaluate what it is that they did last evening. Well, there's a lot of people, I think, that need to mm-hmm. look in the mirror and reevaluate. It's a laundry list. As far as Daniel Jones, yeah, it was not a pretty game because of the turnovers. And I think that every turnover certainly has its own story, which we talk about all the time. But I think if you're going to analyze these two interceptions fairly, Paul, a pair of bad decisions on the part of Daniel Jones. The first one, he's pressured. He's thrown across his body, number one, trying to get it across the field. There really wasn't a legitimate target, in my opinion, in sight. So Steve McClendon was in perfect position to make his first interception of his career. And then the second one, I mean, he was fortunate that that ball got to the second layer because Devin White would have been maybe in position to just get a clean pick. He deflects it, and then Mike Edwards gets the interception. It was just very dangerous throws on the part of Daniel Jones. Bad decisions. Nobody would disagree with that. Uh, They were the kinds of decisions that you certainly do not want him to make, especially at this point in his career. Did he make them out of desperation? Did he make them because he felt he had to take something more on his shoulders than what he did? And consequently, he tried to do too much heavy lifting and and made foolish decisions on those two passes? Maybe. That doesn't excuse what he did. Those were two very, very bad decisions. That's, that, that's all there is to it. Now, the shame of it is, you know, when you look at this game and, you, you know, you understand what it is that the Buccaneers do defensively and the fact that they've got a subpar secondary, the fact that they do risk an awful lot of open spaces in the passing game because they blitz so much and they do it in such an unconventional manner, you say to yourself, well, there should have been a lot more opportunities to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. And that just did not happen last night. And in some ways you just scratch your head and say that just – is incomprehensible. It seems like it's impossible, but that's the way it went down. I mean, you know, between uh, Galladay getting the two targets and one catch for 12 yards, you you look at Ingram, only two catches for 12 yards. I mean, I, I look, I, I have to be honest with you, Lance. I'm I'm scratching my head this morning, too. We, we watched it last night. We lived it. We talked an hour and a half on the postgame show. Now here we are talking about it again. And I'm, I'm waiting for the full Game Pass uh, video to come up so that I can actually digest everything on the All-22. You and I both know you can't see everything on the TV screen. But until I actually get a chance to look at that, I hate to sound like a coach, but until I get a chance to really dig myself in uh, and, and look at the All-22 and maybe even some of the, uh, the end zone cams, I'm, I'm really perplexed about some of the things that happened last night to this offense on, on a number of fronts. The Bucks' defense was credited with nine quarterback hits, six passes defensed, and two sacks. So they deserve some credit. They won the battle in the trenches. It was, once again, a very long night and not for good reasons for the Giants' offensive line. You had penalties. Will Hernandez had three, two that were accepted against him. That was the one possession which I brought up last night, which I'm scratching my head over. Nine plays, 11 yards. So, you know, that should tell you all you need to know. They were just plagued by penalties on that possession. And just overall, after the Andrew Thomas touchdown, and if you go back to that point in the game, Paul, it's 10-10. And listen, there's a lot of football left. But after that play, the Giants, these were the following possessions for the rest of the game. They had four plays punt, three plays fumble, 
Then they turned it over on downs, which was the possession you were referencing to start the third quarter. And oh, by the way, they won the coin toss, they deferred. So you actually had a chance to double dip, and they double dipped the wrong way by turning it over twice. Because turnover on downs is a turnover. Let's face it, that's the reality of it. And they had the fumble right at the end of the first half after the Darius Lane catch. Then I continue. Interception after the turnover on downs. Nine plays, 11 yards, that led to a punt. An interception after five plays, three and out, and then another turnover on downs after four plays. That was every offensive possession, Paul, after the Andrew Thomas touchdown reception, which once again was set up because of an Adoree Jackson interception that put you in great field position at the Tampa Bay Five. Suffice it to say the return of uh, Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas did not really spark the offense, huh? Not at all. I think you're going out on a limb on that one, but I think you're in safe territory. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, this kind of takes me back to some of the golden era days when we used to talk about sometimes how Dave Jennings was the star of the game for the Giants uh, back in yesteryear. Uh, Riley Dixon actually punted the ball very well last night. And I, I kind of I'm not trying to be funny because he's been somewhat inconsistent at times and has also caught some criticisms. Uh, he certainly enjoyed a nice Florida weather and, and performed very admirably. He did not let anything else affect him, and good for him. But, uh, you know, I, look, Lance, here's the thing, and I, I, I don't really want to keep belaboring this. I don't, know if, I don't know if we've got any calls on the line right now at, at 201-939-4513. But, you know, I, I think what really is disappointing to me more than anything else, if you just want to talk about disappointments, it's that we've talked for so many months about getting at least nearly the full complement of skill position players available for this club. And I think, didn't you have the number of how many snaps they've actually played together? Did you? Have I don't that have that in night? front of me, but it was a very limited amount. I mean, right? I think it's fair to say that. So yes. we've leaned on that a lot and said, well, when are they going to get most of these guys in the lineup? Forget about all. It just doesn't seem to be possible with the way this team has had to, you know, deal with the uh, the black cat uh, nature of, of, of this injury jinx. But they finally got most of them back in the lineup outside of Sterling Shepard. And, you know, so I think that's what really creates the mega disappointment here is because there was an expectation that when most of these guys would be on the field together, we would see something resembling what we saw in New Orleans when Daniel Jones, you know, threw for 400 yards and the team won the game in overtime in a hostile environment against a very uh, dangerous defense. And it was like, okay, that's the way it's supposed to go. And when we see those guys get on the field again uh, as a group, that's what we're going to see again. And I think for me, that's the biggest disappointment here is that there's a letdown in that those players, for the most part, got back on the field and didn't look anything like the team that we saw beat the Saints. Well, a few things I want to add to that. Number one, and I've heard a lot of people throw out also the Saints game as perhaps a good omen of what's yet to come. But if we really break down the Saints game, Paul, and I'm not accusing you of doing this, so let me just preface it that way. I'm saying big-picture perspective. A lot of people have brought this up. They only had, Paul, 10 points with about six and change left to go in the fourth quarter of that game, in fairness. It wasn't as if they were lighting up the scoreboard, even with all of their guys on the field. They came out, they rallied late, they deserve credit for that. But let's not make it sound like even when all the weapons were out there for the New Orleans game, they put up 30 points in the blink of an eye and were consistent throughout the game. It was tough sledding for the majority of that game until late when all of a sudden the Saints defense started to break down. So that's number one that I wanted to bring up. Number two. Before you go anywhere with that though, Lance, hold on just a second here. Here's, Here's why the Saints game, to me, was the barometer. All right. First of all, the game is a full 60 minutes. And, yes, you're absolutely right. The last seven minutes of that game, actually, yeah, when, when you consider. It was 6.52 when Barkley scored right. the touchdown. Last seven yeah. minutes when, with yeah. Barkley's explosive run. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then, obviously, you know, they scored three consecutive times to, to beat the Saints. But here, here's the litmus test. Here's what I'm talking about. The fact that Jones threw for 400 yards, the fact that they had Galladay with over 100 yards, and their second and third and fourth receivers all had over 70 yards. Sure. All right? Those are the kinds of numbers. Those are the the, um, 
Oh, what am I looking for? The well, you're bars. looking at production. Those, those the are the bars, right? Production. Those are the yeah. bars, if you will, across the board. A 400-yard passer, a 100-yard receiver, secondary receivers that were at least in the 70s or 80s. Those, are the, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the timing of the scores that day. What I'm saying is, by the time the game was over, you looked at the bars and they met those bars which usually indicate a very productive offense. That's what I'm talking about. It has nothing to do with the timing of the plays or the timing of the scores. I'm, I'm looking at the, the final numbers and saying, look, if you look at that box score, is that the box score you expect to see from this offense when it's operating at full efficiency? And I think the answer is yes. And I completely get that. And I understand exactly where you're coming from. But what I also wanted to add is in that game, two other things jump out to me. Daniel Jones was well-protected, Paul, okay? The offensive line did a really good job sure. neutralizing New Orleans' defensive front. Zero which you could sacks say, is part of the box score, though, oh, Lance. That's part, of, that's part of the box score that you want to achieve, right? Absolutely. And then on top of that, the Giants also protected the ball for the most part. They only had one turnover. Okay, so now let's go to the Bucks game. So you didn't have the spread-the-wealth mentality that you're talking about. You didn't have those complementary pieces make plays. You didn't even have your star players make the explosive plays. Okay, so that we eliminate. You didn't do a good job protecting your quarterback. So that also we take away from the New Orleans game, and you didn't do a good job protecting the football. So the bottom line is the three things that were in place for that New Orleans game, whether you want to say for the whole game or for the final seven minutes, was nowhere to be found, Paul, mm -hmm. in the Tampa Bay game. Which brings me back to the point, and once again, I'm not saying you were bringing this up. When people look at rosters and they get excited about free agency moves and so forth, that to me is a lot of fantasy analysis. It's the hypothetical, oh, look at all the big names. We put them out on the field. They're going to score 35 a game. And when fantasy analysis gets watered down is when you start bringing in, how did the team perform in the trenches? Because if your offensive line doesn't take care of business or your quarterback doesn't make good decisions, Paul, I don't care whether you have seven pro bowlers and five first-team all-pros on the roster around the quarterback of the offensive line. You could throw that all out the window if those other factors don't fall in line. And that, to me, is the big difference between the New Orleans game and the Tampa Bay game. Well, I think the, the, those two games are miles apart. And actually, that's what I was trying to express, though, is that my level of disappointment comes from the fact that these two games were totally opposites. I mean, to me, the Saints game, there were only two things about the Saints game that I did not like offensively by the time that game was over. 83 yards of total rushing, which, again, if it's done in spots when you need to move the chains or to milk the clock, 83 can be an acceptable number, but under normal conditions, no. That is not an acceptable number. And obviously, Barkley had one big run that actually got it to that number in the first place. Yeah. So that that was that was one dent in the armor of that offense. And then the four of eleven on third down, I certainly would like to see it higher than that. But otherwise, every other bar in terms of no sacks, uh, they they had almost five hundred yards of total offense. Quarterback went for four hundred. You had a hundred yard receiver. You had only one negative play in the entire game, which included overtime. Only one negative play. I mean, three penalties on the whole day. That to me, that's the game. That's the game of what the twenty twenty one Giants are supposed to be. That's the one that should have been bottled frozen in the freezer, and then popped out in the microwave every Sunday for the rest of the year when they had at least almost their full complement of players. And that's why last night when they did have that recipe on the kitchen table and they didn't come close to it, in fact, did exactly the opposite, that's why I was so disappointed. Well, because a lot of the things that you brought up with respect to the Saints game, I don't want to say it was an ideal execution because, like I said, you only had 10 points with about seven minutes to go in the fourth. But there were a lot of things that went opposite, Paul, of what's occurred for the most part this season, whether you're fully healthy or not. Because what are some of the things that have come back to plague the Giants? Late game situations where you have negative plays and penalties, right? And it takes you out of range of maybe knocking on the door for a touchdown in the red zone. That's been an issue. And that's been an issue no matter who's been on the field. So a lot of the things that you talked about, once again, in the New Orleans Saints game were ideal outcomes. Almost the best finish you could ever expect if you were to script it up for the Giants. Unfortunately, that has been far from the trend this season. Now, you could say it really went to the extreme, 
Monday night against the Tampa Bay Bucks. But it's hard, I guess, to bank on having the Giants duplicate that consistently, what we saw in the New Orleans game, because they haven't proven, Paul, that they can be that well-disciplined for a string of three or four games this season. Oh, I, I would 20 times agree with you, and that was the problem. Going into this game last night, I saw a game plan that they would have to use to win this game. And in my head, I had already said if they don't score a minimum 26, 27 points, and by the way, they scored 27 against New Orleans, they would not have a chance to win the game. As it turned out, you know, the Bucks wound up scoring 30 anyway, so 26-27 would have still brought them short. But, but it may I, have kept I, the game know, a little bit more competitive. Well, under those you know, obviously. Yeah. And, and if you keep the game competitive, you never know what's going to happen. But the truth of the matter is, I knew all along and said all along on, on the shows last week, it's going to take that type of offensive performance from that New Orleans game to, to be able to have any chance at all to win this game and and again with so many guys back I knew it was a long shot you can't expect that to happen when they've only done it once all year okay I mean let's not kid ourselves Lance the odds were against them being able to do it but at least with the bodies coming back you wanted to have some hope well unfortunately when you look at then the offensive execution completely different story the other number I wanted to bring up the Giants were one for nine on third down they failed to convert their final eight third downs. And, Paul, I was looking at the numbers even closer this morning. I brought this up last night. I don't want to hear people saying, well, they were in horrendous third downs and distances. They really weren't. Of the nine third downs, Paul, five of them were for five yards or less. To me, this was not a down and distance thing. This was an issue in the short yardage they actually failed to convert, more so than when they were facing third and long. So I don't want to hear people say, well, you know, the offensive line put him in third and forever. Yes, there were a few third and forevers. Don't get me wrong. But when more than half of your third downs are for five yards or less, you would think that you'd be able to convert more than just one third down in this game. I'm not going to argue with you. One other thing I want to bring up before we open up the phone lines, we spent a lot on the offensive side of the ball. Just real quickly, Paul, in terms of a few takeaways on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, they were missing Logan Ryan, and we talked about this on Monday's program. Notable loss because of all the things he does. But with that being said, the Bucks were not relying on the home run in this game. Brady methodically, and we talked about this also on Monday's show, he's going to take what the defense gives him. He's going to keep his team in manageable downs and distances. And the Giants' defense could not get off the field. The Bucks had four scoring drives of at least 71 yards, three of which resulted in touchdowns. One, they had to settle for a field goal, which, believe it or not, was an 18-play drive. And that was the one that they actually failed to punch it in. But the Giants' defense, the first and second down efficiency by the Bucks put them in a very precarious spot because, Paul, on the very first drive of the game, Tampa Bay didn't even face a third down because they were so good on first and second down. And it was a mixture of running the ball out of the backfield with a variety of personnel or Brady just dumping it for short yardage and getting some yak yardage. A couple of things real quick, Lance. I know we've got to get to the calls. Uh, look, Tampa Bay was averaging just over 30 points a game anyway offensively. So they had their typical average game. And, of course, at home they've been just explosive offensively. So I, I, was, I was not thrilled that the Giants continued to play with their bend-but-don't-break philosophy because that did allow Tampa to have a 17-10 to 10 halftime lead. But at the same time, even if I'm not thrilled with that, I'm sitting there saying to myself, the Giants get the ball to start the third quarter, and they're one touchdown drive from tying this ball game. So they are in the game. They are competitive. It looks like, and it's in fact true, that the Bucks are controlling this game. But they're not pulling away. And so... I really don't have nearly as much fault with the defense as maybe some other people will. Um, that's not where my my trouble is, and uh, so and then and then quite frankly, the other comment that I will make, and it goes back to the offense. You saw what what you saw with that Bucks offense when you just mentioned a minute ago that they didn't have to face a number of difficult third downs. Well, that's because on first down and second down. They were in attack mode. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, it wasn't like they ran the ball up and down the field. No, Tom Brady was throwing the ball up and down the field. Let's make that very clear because they were in attack mode. He threw the ball over 45 times last night. Yeah. Okay? 
That's exactly what the Giants should have done on early downs. That's how you attack this Bucks defense. You throw the ball more so on early downs and convert and move the chains on first and second down. That's the Buccaneers on with their offense showed the Giants what they should have been doing on offense and what you should have been able to do is try to keep up with them and get into some type of track meet and that was your best chance to win this game if you were the Giants. You were not going to win this game 20-10 to 10 by playing slow down, slug them out, 1980s football like you did against the Raiders. Hey, I may love that kind of football, but that was not what was called for going into a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. That was not going to happen with this matchup. The only way you were going to win is to get this game into the high 20s, low 30s, and hope that you could efficient, efficiently attack them like they were going to attack you and try to keep up with them for as long as you could. That was the only way to win this game. Offense didn't do the defense any favors because if you look at where those turnovers put the defense, even though they held them to field goals, that was not necessarily an ideal circumstance. And the defense gave up points early, which put even more pressure on the offense. And you spell all that out. That's the lack of complimentary football at its finest. All right, 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, recapping the Bucks' 30-10 to win over the Giants. Mike is in Queens, and he gets us going. What's happening, Mike? How you guys doing? Doing all right, Mike. What's on your mind? Nothing much. I just want to talk a little bit about the uh, the defense first. Um, I didn't like – I know they played back to eliminate the deep ball, but they Yay. gave up too much underneath. So, like I was watching the game, a lot of the passes wasn't contested. It was wide open. And, they, you know, after they caught the ball, then, you know, they made a tackle. But by then, they was across the sticks. They kept playing back. So then I would think that once they get to about the 30, okay – play a little press man, but to me they were still a little off. So I don't I don't like that aspect. And like you guys said earlier in the week, Tom Brady would take the underneath. He would you know if you if you take away the deep pass, he's gonna cut you underneath. So I would think that they would you know make an adjustment and say, okay, he's just eating up yards. We, we're letting them go to um to the red zone basically. And then you're gonna hope that you're gonna clamp down. That doesn't know what happened. It was three for five in the red zone. So that's one thing. Second thing, um, I don't know why we don't run to the outside. We always run up the middle. Um, I like that one formation Jason Garrett did with the wishbone, but we only ran that one time. And I think that would have been good because, you know, did a little counter with that. Um, load up the two tight ends on the right because the chip block. Just go to the outside sometimes. They ran with Fournette to the outside. They ran with Jones to the outside and got a touchdown. We're um, going up the gut. And the last thing, um, I don't like how Daniel Jones, that one play we ran trips right with two on the, on, the, on the left. As soon as he hiked the ball, he looked left. He never even turned his head right. And I, I know Jason Garrett wants to get the ball out quick, but if you're only going to look at one side, you're limiting yourself. And we had people open. Those two interceptions were unbelievable. I mean, I mean unacceptable. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I know they keep coming out saying, yeah, we need to attack more and stuff like that. But I'm not seeing it. And it, like you said, we run the same slow offense, and then every week they come out and say, we've got to execute better. We've been doing this every week. We cannot score 20-something points. And, you know, I, I've seen enough. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. But, uh, hey, go blue, and I hope something happens. All right, Mike. Yep, thanks for the phone call. A few things I just want to expand upon. As far as his point about the defense and maybe playing a little bit too much off the line, there was the, I believe it was, Paul, the third and 11, the pass to Mike Evans. Bradbury was way off of Mike Evans on that, where mm -hmm. Evans, I mean, he had miles to work back to the chain, and you knew if Brady saw him open, he was going to catch that. So that was one thing that comes to mind. And then if you remember on the pass to Gronk for 35 yards, go back and watch that. You have Love on him initially, and then he lets him get a free release, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden he's able to then run up the field 
without any obstacle in his way. So there were a few things that jumped out to me where I thought the coverage may have not been aggressive enough, and that gave Brady an opportunity to think about throwing a little bit beyond the chains. Well, here's the problem. And again, we talked about it a thousand times, the dink and dunk that Brady was going to do. If you let him do that all day, you will die a slow death. Uh, Yet, again, 17 to 10 at halftime, and they're still in that game. So despite the fact that the Tampa Bay Bucks totally controlled the first half and did practically anything they wanted offensively, they could not put the game away. And they could not pull away. And so that's why I'm going to have a hard time, even though... I did not necessarily like the strategy. I'm having a hard time criticizing it because they were competitive coming out to start the third quarter, despite the fact that the Bucks had ground up a ton of real estate. Um, they were three of five in terms of red zone, yep. which is, you know, defensively against that team, that's not so bad. Again, they held them to 30 points, which is their average anyway. That's not so bad. Would I have liked them to have – done better here's the one disappointment i do have with the defense on times when they did blitz when they did send the dogs and they did send some secondary guys they didn't get there yeah they didn't I mean, even get finished. close to getting there and under the circumstances think about this for a minute right so they, they they did go with the bend but don't break and kept themselves in the game for a half when they did send heat they never got there I mean, Brady Brady could have had, you know, lunch, dinner, and dessert, and even popcorn snacks at the midnight movie before the Giants were going to get home. I mean, they had three quarterback hits and one sack, okay? They well, didn't but remember, hold, I don't mean to cut you off. Remember, the sack was against Blaine Gabbert, number one. Yes. And one of the quarterback hits was against Blaine Gabbert. That's so technically, true. against Brady, they had no sacks and two quarterback hits. Right. You're just reinforcing the point. So here's the thing. You either play coverage or you play pressure. Now, coverage kept them in the game into the third quarter, but then the offense didn't do its job to maintain that competitiveness. So now what do you have to do? Well, if you play pressure and the pressure doesn't get there, well, that's just as good as as playing you know, soft and letting Brady cut you to ribbons. Because you, you can't, if, you're, if your pressure game is not going to get home, that's suicide just as well. So that, if you want my disappointment on the defense, it's that when they did send heat, guys did not win their matchups and create the kind of, of uh, flames in the pocket that they needed to. That's my biggest disappointment on defense. I'm not going to complain about Brady's, you know, what, eight for eight coming out of the gate. I'm not going to complain about him dominating time of possession and taking a 17 to 10 lead at halftime because the Giants were in the game at that point. So despite what looked ugly, they did what they had to do ultimately in giving their offense a chance to compete. And that's all I have to say about the defense. Yeah, the one thing I just want to add is, you know, with me, it's not so much the overall picture. It's the timing, which I like to focus on. And I just want to go back to those two plays just to emphasize what I'm talking about in terms of the coverage. Overall, yes, it kept them in the game in the first half. I'm with you. But on a third and three, you gave up the 35-yard catch to Rob Gronkowski. And on a third and 11, you gave up the 17-yard completion to Mike Evans, which helped them extend a drive, which ultimately made it 24-10. to And then the drive with Gronkowski also ended up with a touchdown. So my point is, under certain downs and distances and circumstances, maybe you would have liked to have seen them pick their parts of the game a little bit better and being a little more aggressive to not allow the free reign down the field beyond the chains. I guess you that's what I'm I would I'm only say, Lance, that's easy to say if your pressure is working. But the pressure that they applied periodically to that point had not shown any results. Well, but I'm not even talking about pressure. I'm talking about Bradbury up on the line on Evans oh. and jamming him a little bit well, more as you, opposed hey. to... You're preaching to the choir. You know how I feel about jamming yeah. guys and beating them up off the line of scrimmage. I, that's that's a staple of what I would do most of the time anyway. In fact, even Bill Parcells, I, I saw somebody put up on YouTube, Parcells was on with the Mannings last night. 
Now, I watch the regular broadcast. I don't watch the other one because I'm more interested in the nuts and bolts of the game. Uh, but if you're interested in the entertainment, Peyton and Eli do a great job with their program. That's just not something that I want to consume. But in seeing the Parcells guest spot, they were asking Bill as the game was going on, what, what, what do you think about getting a Brady? He goes, well, you got to get the pressure in the front of the pocket. We all know that. But short of doing that, you better beat up his targets. Jam them off the line. Throw off their timing. Don't give them the release. That's old school 101. I, I learned from Tuna. This is how many years ago this man taught me how to deal with football. Uh, so, you know, that that's the Pope as far as I'm concerned. He sits in the Vatican, and, and he's the man. And so, you know, Bill Bill made it plain as day, too. Would I have liked to have seen more of that? Absolutely. But, again, I go back to the final results, and this defense's overall product last night is not the reason this game got one-sided. 201-939-4513, telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. John is in Alabama. John, what's happening? Guys, how you doing? Doing right, John. Thanks for the call. Yeah, what do you got for us? Hey, Paulie, what I'm hearing, and you're not sugarcoating it, and I went. I actually went to the game last night, and I was also at the Saints game, okay? They were outcoached last night in that Tampa Bay game. They were not outcoached in that game at, uh, against the Saints. I mean, it was it was ugly. It looked like they were in preseason mode on some of the stuff that was going on out there. And um, I just have a stat for you guys with regards to um, to this, right? It was on one of the, the shows. It was Brady actually went back 46 drops, zero sacks. And, he, and the offense with Tampa Bay had 15 more minutes than we had. Right. So Arians was playing to what, you know, we were coaching to of what you were just saying, Paulie, you know, and he was, he wanted to eat up the whole clock and only get like 20 points. He was, he wanted to win the game. He could have like lit it up with Brady, but then there could be some more mistakes that could happen there. So anyway, that's what I was going to say from there. Well, you, you make a good point because it's always about the matchup and what do you have to do to win? People confuse the NFL with the NCAA sometimes, and they think that you have to win pretty. I don't give a flying horse's butt how you win the game. Yeah, style you do what you matter. have to do to be competitive and to try to win. And, you know, but because of fantasy football in particular, and, of course, some other people who love to play with numbers and have a personal invested interest in numbers, they're more interested in getting their numbers in addition to having their team win. I'm never going to be that way. I look at the game and I say, hey, what do you have to do as a coach to make this competitive and to give your team a chance? That's all I care about. I don't care about fantasy football, and I don't care about anybody else's uh, wallets, if you know what I mean. Amen. I hear it loud. So the one thing, though, is they've got to get the running game going. And the, the other thing that was on, um, on the, uh, it was the different uh, Joe Judges thing, they, were, they asked him about Tony. Why are we not getting these guys going on some of this stuff? I, I just, I don't get it. But well, John, anyway, I mean, you listen. can really, John, in fairness, you can say that about everybody. I mean, Galladay only had two targets. So, I mean, it really is not just Tony. Tony actually, I mean, this is not the game that I would point to. Tony had 12 targets in this game. <laughs> he didn't have a lot of yardage. He had 12 targets. So, of all the guys to pinpoint, it would not be Tony out of last night's game. If anything, it's the fact that Galladay only got two targets. Yeah, they, they brought that up because he's the skyscraper in the end zone, and they didn't go to him, you know. So it was one of those things where they'd say. But anyway, one other last thing, because I know you tracked this, Lance. How many missed tackles did the defense have? I mean, that first drive, they were missing some easy tackles. And sure. then I'll take that off the air. Thanks a lot, right. guys. Well, appreciate the phone call. And that's what happens when Brady's going to dink and dunk you then have to do damage control, meaning limit the play. So if Brady throws for five yards, make it a five-yard completion. Don't make it then an eight-yard completion so that, therefore, they have a second and two instead of a second and five. And we did see some of that, not just on the first drive. I would say throughout the course of the game. I mean, there was one play on Mike Evans 
mm-hmm. where Evans ran up. I believe it was the right sideline. There must have been at least two guys that were in a position to knock him out of play, and he wound up making both of them miss. And if you remember, Paul, he stepped out of play on that play. So if he stays yes. in bounds, I would argue he probably gets even more than whatever his designated gain was on that play. So that, to me, is another example of a play that comes to mind with the last caller's point about the missed tackling. Credit Tampa because their defense did a really good job in cutting down on their missed tackles. There yep. were a number of one-on-one hits that they made, you know, outside of maybe Kadarius Tony with some of his jukeability, uh, where the Giants just did not get free, where the ball carrier was in a one-on-one matchup. And, all right, if you can lose this guy, you're going to get some yardage. <laughs> Buccaneers didn't let it happen. Let's head back to the phone lines, check in with Ralph in Florida. Ralph, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, always great to talk to you guys. Um, you know what? That guy stole my thunder with the missed tackles. I know, Paulie, what you were saying about the defense, uh, you know, that you don't want to, you know, harp on it. But, again, like Lance said, the third and 11 to Evans, that was a big play because, again, we didn't get the first down on the fourth down. But if we stop him there, now you give the ball back to the offense. We're still only down 17-10. We're still only down 17-10. Mm-hmm. That play right there makes a difference. That's huge. He gets that first down. The drive keeps going. Now they get a touchdown. It's 24-10. You basically turn off the lights on that, on the game right there. You turn off the lights. But if he makes that stop, he makes that stop. If we can make that stop, now we get the ball back. It's not like the offense wasn't moving the ball during the first half. And the start of the third quarter, they were moving the ball. They just can't when they, they for whatever reason, we get in that green zone that you, Tom Conley to call it. And we stop. We just stop. Everything changes. Like we start nickel and diamond running plays, short three out, uh, three out, three yard outs, and it, it doesn't it doesn't click. And like I say, Paul, like you, while we're not going deep on first down, once we get in there first down, let's go to the end zone. Let's you know what's interesting? Let's see, we get, let's see if we get a pass interference. You mentioned the you mentioned the Evans third down conversion there, uh, a third and eleven from the twenty five. And you're right, the Giants if they can force a punt there, they might actually do a decent job of getting good field position and maybe trying to run back that offense out there for another shot. But here's the thing that bothers me even more than the third down conversion. And you're right, there's no way Evans should have had that much room. But but after that, the Buccaneers ran off another half a dozen plays, including a couple of penalties and did not face another third down until third and goal at the five when Evans caught the five-yard touchdown. They got first down, first down after a penalty, first down, second down, first down, second down, first down, second down. Attack early in the downs. And Paulie, 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 listen, even the touchdown. Why is Bradbury standing at the end zone? you got to be up on Evans on that. Yeah, Evans boxed him out on that. Evans body you. Body you up at the goal line, you're not getting around him. He's yeah. six foot five, 235 pounds. You, know, you have to make him off his route, and he's standing at the end zone waiting for him to come backpedaling. Yeah. You can't backpedal him. Brad, Bradbury's played him enough of times. He should know exactly what Evans wants to do, and he should be able to combat him better than that. I, exactly. I'm not argue so is that a play call? Is that a play call, or is that on Bradbury? Which one is it? That's like, a, I don't know that, well, is it. the fact that Bradbury was with him tells you in all likelihood that the play call was right and maybe the execution wasn't. Yeah, or the adjustment okay. by the corner in terms of watching what Evans is doing when running his route because Evans again, got right. in position to box him out. Then yeah. again, exactly. Evans has made a living right. doing this kind of thing, so he does get paid too. Yeah, no question. No question. Listen, Mike Evans is a pro bowler for a reason. But, hey, guys, listen, I'm sorry I, I got off topic, but, you know, but um, I'm a Giants fan. There's nothing we could do about it. I'm going to keep cheering. Daniel Jones, one, you know, the kid looks like when the lights are bright, he doesn't have it right now. Can he get it? I think he still has the skills to be a good quarterback and to be a good franchise quarterback. You know, but we can't give up on our team. We're still 3-7. and seven. Let's see what happens. As long as we beat Philly, let's, beat, let's win at least some games in our division, that, you know, and go into next season and see what happens. Let's see if the Chiefs may. I think heads are going to roll soon. I think Garrett's got to go. Something's going to have to give because – you can't keep putting the same product on the field and keep thinking you're going to get different results. But thank you, guys. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. All right, Rob, you too, man. Yep, appreciate the phone call. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here, Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 201-939-4513. Juan is in South Carolina. He joins us. What's happening, Juan? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. First time caller. 
long-time Giants fan. And just like every other Giants fan, I'm disappointed once again. But my only question is this. Maybe you guys can help me out a little bit. What do we do? It's been 10 years since a playoff game. Well, 2016 they had a playoff game, so it's been less than that. Oh, that's right. When they lost, they lost to Green Bay. Right, correct, yeah. correct, right. Um, what do we do? We have talent, and that's where the frustration comes with me personally. I see the talent, but for some reason they're just not on the same page. I just don't understand it sometimes. I just don't. And I'll take the answer offline, but thank you for taking my call. All right, Juan. Well, listen, I know it sounds like the boring answer, but, you know, I'm going to continue to go back to execution takes away from all of the attractiveness of these weapons that we keep hearing about from the callers. Because if you go to that nine play 11 yard drive, you had three penalties on that drive and you had two in the trenches. So that's an example of how what difference does it make who Daniel Jones has to throw the ball to if you're going backwards because of some procedural issues or holding or whatever it may be. Then you have the previous caller, Paul, brought up the red zone and wanting to see them right throw the ball on first down, take some shots in the end zone. Well, if you go back to that drive that ended with a field goal, so the Bucks go up 7 nothing, the Giants then settle for three points. They went 13 plays, 56 yards. When have we seen this script play out? Third and nine from the Tampa Bay 14. Not a manageable third down, but Paul, Hernandez gets called for a false start. Mm-hmm. So now third and nine becomes third and 14. And listen, if you have a hard enough tr- trouble and time converting a third and nine, what do you expect your chances are going to be on third and 14? So it's an incomplete pass. You settle for a field goal. They continue to have these mistakes. It's almost like it's predictable at this point, Paul. They get down to the red zone. You're knocking on the door. You're around the 20. All right, we're just waiting for the false start, the hold, something to back them up as opposed to allow them to continue to gain momentum moving forward. I could go to a number of red zone drives. I can at least find a handful each game throughout the course of this season. Well, look, I'm not going to pick on them here, but if you want the kind of example, I'll use this as an example of what, what the concept is that we're talking about in terms of attacking from outside the red zone. Giants... Um, get the ball first and 10 at the 39 of the Bucks, and they, they get a, a right roll, and, and he has to throw it away because of the pressure. When in the game are you talking? I just want to be able to follow. I'm talking the same drive. Okay, the same drive. First okay, quarter drive, gotcha. right? Okay. So second down, Jones runs left tackle for six. Third down, Ingram on a left out for nine. See, they're not trying to go to the end zone here. All right? I've said a thousand times you know, part of what I say is if you have trouble in the red zone, try to take a deep shot from outside the red zone. So on first down from the 24, Barkley goes up the middle for nothing. First down at the 24-yard line. That might not be a bad time to throw to the end zone. Well, and then you look at the Washington you know, game. Yeah. Second down and 10. Four yards on Tony with a rollout to the right side for, for, for a little checkdown pass. I mean... You know, again, it just seems to be common sense. I'm not trying to take shots at anybody. I'm just saying if when you get into the red zone, you have so much trouble. Yeah, the best way is to just fix that with a strong offensive line and a strong running game. That's the best way to fix red zone problems. But short of that, maybe taking shots from outside the red zone into the end zone is another way to combat that issue. I mean, I've said this for years. It's not something that is is being directed at the current offensive play caller. This is something I've said for a long time. It just seems to be common sense. Well, because the red zone issues have been prevalent over the last few seasons. It's not necessarily something isolated to this year. And I was bringing up the Washington game was probably the best example of a game where they actually took some shots outside the red zone. The touchdown pass to Darius Slayton, for Mm -hmm. example, was well outside the red zone. So that was one game. That certainly came Remember to a mind. couple of weeks ago against the Raiders, Ingram, 30-yard touchdown? Yeah, that's another one on the I opening mean, th- drive. Those, yeah. those plays aren't against the law, you know. No, of course not. Absolutely. It's just you would like to see, though, the ability of the team, though, and I completely understand where you're coming from. If you're at the 20-yard line, 
to be able to run the ball and not be worried about a penalty is now going to take away even a three-yard gain. I mean, that's what the trouble has been. Even when they do get a positive yard or two in the red zone, more than often it's negated because of a penalty. That's the trend that I see, and that's been an absolute killer, especially when you're having enough trouble, once again, converting in those small spaces. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Jay in Brooklyn on the line. What's happening, Jay? Hey, how you, hey, how you doing, guys? Uh, just a quick uh, 30,000 you know, feet in the air view of this team. Uh, to be honest, the competitive nature of this season went down the drain after the RAN game. I mean, we all knew that that was probably going to be the end of them you know, making a competitive run towards the playoffs. Whatever, whatever. So in my, in my view, the season about in that point, even at the beginning of the season, became about the coach and the quarterback. And it, it's really hard to look at – everybody wants him to succeed, but I don't know any fan out there, rational fan. I'm not talking about the most optimistic who think the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl every year or the most negative who think they're going to go 0-16 for the year. The rational fans who watch this guy, I don't know anyone who can pound their fist on the table right now and say, without a doubt, the Giants have their franchise quarterback. Well, I think that certainly the results have been mixed, Jay. I don't think anybody's necessarily going to disagree with you there. But the bottom line is you still need to see what you have in Daniel Jones. You're not going to make a change. You're going to continue to play him. You hope that guys return to full health. So, I mean, the evaluation process is ongoing. And I'm not saying that you're calling for him to be benched. But I also I don't disagree with you. I I think anyone who's a rational person, forget fan, rational person who's watched a volume of games with Daniel Jones can see some really highs where you're like, wow, I mean, he's got it. And then, unfortunately, performances like last night where you scratch your head over the two interceptions and you have trouble because of, of course, the pressure that's in his face. So, yeah, I would say mixed results. I think that's a and, fair takeaway. And, I, and, and listen, I, I think he's coming back next year. I don't think they're going to get rid of him. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to come out of the end of this season knowing that you have your guy. And Jay, I, don't, Jay, I, don't, I don't have a problem with your thought. In fact, he's got seven more games to show you. So to me. Agreed, Paul. Agreed. I mean, and, and, that's, and that's why I actually agree with you. You want to be able to have a strong conviction. Not I think he can. You want to say Correct. I know he can. But, but, Paul, but until know, those next seven anymore, games are Paul. played out. Me and you like the old school league. That's not yeah. the way it is anymore. No, no, I know. You know? But, uh, but until these seven games are played out, to be frank with you, um, I'm not prepared to make that concrete decision. I'm still of the mindset that I think he can be. I've said that all along. I still believe that I think he can be. Do I know? No, I don't know yet. And I hope over the next seven games I do know. But until that time, I'm, I'm really not in a position – to be uh, to be making a, a proclamation because that there, there it, needs to be more just, evidence. What you just said, that in itself is the problem, Paul. The, the problem is that at this point, we still don't know. And, you know, he improved on his turnovers. I mean, everybody killed him the first couple of years about his turnovers. Mm-hmm. And he rung those down. Sure did. What nobody talks about is the other side of the turnovers. When the Giants got rid of the turnovers, they also got rid of the offense. <laughs> Any semblance of a consistent offense also got thrown out the window, which has been a big problem. It's one thing if you're turning the ball over, but you're producing, you're producing TDs. Yeah, they cut back the turnovers, but they're not producing anything after that. And that's a problem. And that's a, it's a problem. Listen, I know there's injuries, Paul, the offensive line. But the, one of the phrases that I hear uttered that, got, that has to be removed is I can't wait to see what this team is when they're fully healthy. When they're fully healthy does not exist in the NFL. No, it's a good point. Okay. Yeah, that's I agree fair. with you, Jay. That's not exist. That's fair. I well, said close yep. to what I said was, was earlier when I complained about the, the, the lineup was close to full health. You're not going to get 100%. We all know that. No. But last no. night, so he, they had close yeah. to their full complement. And what did it get them? And that's and, and, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, Paul, and, and I want them to succeed. I want Joe Judge to work out. They painted themselves into the corner for next week. And I'm telling you this right now as a fan looking away from it. You got the Eagles coming in, who the owner came out at the end of last year and said they were in a rebuild. I understand the players, they don't, they don't play for that, they want to play hard. I get it. The owner came out and said they were in a transition period. If that team that's supposed to be rebuilding this year comes into your house and beats them, they're going to have a lot of people starting to question everything. 
Yeah, well, but JC, I, I want to stop you there. I think you're reading too much into an owner's words in the midst of an offseason. When Nick Sirianni gets that job, do you really think he's saying to himself, I've got eight games no, to screw I, around? I, I, I mean, said come on. I, Lance, I said you know. that. I said that. I said. Yeah, but I'm no, but you also said, hold on. You also said if you lose to the Eagles on Sunday, how can you dispute or defend yourself that you lost to a team that's rebuilding, which I don't think because is a fair that synopsis. that is a team that from ownership down, whether you like to admit it or not, Lance, Go to the owner's words himself, okay? If you, whether you like to admit it or not, the owner and the general manager know they're in a rebuild period. Well, first of and all, I don't think there is such a thing as a rebuilding them, period in the NFL to begin with. I think that there's a transitional period for teams. I don't think there's anything such as rebuilding. Rosters change every year, Jay, okay? Nobody brings back their 53-man roster. So, Agreed. to me, when you say rebuild, that's basically like you're saying, well, they took all 53 guys, they threw them out the window, they brought in 53 new ones. And we know the come Eagles on, didn't do that. Not, come on, Lance. You're going no. to the extreme. I mean, no, but, I, but because you're going to the extreme, you. Jay. You're going to the extreme a bit. You're selling the you, Eagles you. as this, you know, bottom-of-the-barrel team, which is bringing in a bunch of rookies and just hoping for the best. And I don't think that's what a fair synopsis. What did you think the Eagles were going to – be honest. What was your prognostication on, My, on the Eagles at the beginning I didn't, of the I didn't think the Eagles were going to be a playoff team. I thought that they probably would finish third or fourth in the division. And Correct. that could very well still happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Correct. So if you have that team who you yourself are saying that they, they weren't supposed to be that good, who the owner came out after that the bottom Jay, the, the Giants the are three and seven. You're talking about a five and six team against a three and seven team. You make it sound that's, like the Giants are a juggernaut right now. No, no. See, you're missing the point. But that's the problem. Everybody, everybody thought the Giants would finish ahead of the Eagles. Okay, and if they come in here, and you lose another home game to that. I'm telling you, it's gonna look bad. It's gonna look bad. Well, I'm not saying it's going to look good, Jay, and we'll let you go on that note. But, All right, thanks, I mean, when a team finishes or most people think they're going to finish ahead of another team, what did you think they were going to finish? Ten games ahead of the Eagles? I mean, you know, let's have some perspective here. You know, nobody necessarily runs away with things in the NFL, especially this season of all seasons. There's been even more parity, I would say, in the <laughs> NFL this year than there's ever been. Okay? You know, Paul, normally we've gone this deep in the season. We probably oh, have had a win, a, a team with no, no losses or a team with one loss. We don't even have that anymore. So, no. you know, that's why I disagree with the sentiments of the last caller. I don't think that's fair. Well, I will say this. Uh, until we find out what's going to go on over the next seven, and, I, and look, we understand, too, that NFL fans will live and die each and every weekend. And what's hot this week is cold next week, and the ebb and flow will go back and forth to dramatic extremes. And that's the shame of it, because let's say the Giants, like, pummel the Eagles next week 38-3. to Well, then all of a sudden, everybody's happy again. Sure, exactly. I mean, and, yeah. and, that, and that's the well, problem. It's, it's, 100%. It's, it's the knee-jerk reaction, and that's why NFL fans actually would be horrible on Wall Street. <laughs> because we all know the stock market is something that you've yep. got to play over a long period of time. You cannot play it every single week. Very or you're well probably going to be in the poorhouse. Yeah. No, you're 100% right because when the Giants beat the Raiders and they were competitive with the Chiefs, everybody says, oh, here we go. Here's the playoff push. Sure. And they lose to the Bucks by 20, and now everybody's back to where they were before yes. the Chiefs game. Exactly. Yeah, see, this is why when we get calls and they start talking about, oh, well, you know, I was rooting for these two teams to lose this past weekend so the Giants could take advantage. What was my response? We actually we got a call on that yesterday, Paul, and I said until the Giants take care of their business, I don't want to hear anything about mm -hmm. who they need to win and who they need to lose. The Giants need to take care of their business Look, before for, you even uh, utter the word that starts with a P. For what it's worth, Lance, okay, for what it's worth, uh, although before the season I looked at this roster and I said to myself, okay, I believe this is a 10-7 team that, that should win the division. Uh, I got news for you. I had them losing to Tampa Bay. Okay. I, so, I mean, this is not a game that I expected them to win anyway. So the fact that they've lost it, I mean, even if you had the highest of hopes for this team, if you thought the Giants were going to go 16-1, and chances are this might have been the one game that you thought they'd lose anyway. Given the fact that we are talking about the defending Super Bowl champs. Yeah, on prime Tom time yeah. in Tom Brady's backyard. I mean, come on. Let, let's be very serious about this. I don't think there's any Giants fan out there, no matter how optimistic you were, that at any point during the last two or three months you thought that this would be a, a W. 
No. Well, I, I mean, listen, so. that may be the case, Paul. I think probably more of the disappointment, if you ask most fans, is just the lack of competitiveness of the game. No overall, question. At least specifically in the second half. I think that's probably what most people are more disappointed than maybe the result. And once again, I know I'm generalizing, and I'm not trying to put words in every fan's mouth, but I think that would probably I think be you're the right, bigger takeaway. But it, it, it's more prudent to have a bigger picture look at things than just dwelling on the disappointment of well, one really big rough picture. And horrible Listen, I'm the last person, Paul. You need to sell on big picture. Okay? <laughs> I preach that all the time. Okay, I, I never do. get too high or low over one game. So yes, yes, I'm completely with you. All right, okay. Let's head back to the lines. Try to squeeze in one or two more. Mike is in New Jersey. Mike, what's happening? Hey, hey, how are you guys today? Doing all right, Mike. What do you got for us? Um, this team is just so far beyond a disappointment. I don't even really want to watch the games anymore. Like every time they have a chance to to win a game and put themselves in a good position, all they do is choke. And I just don't really know like what the problem is. Like it's offense, it's defense, it's management. Like like well, I guess it, it could be management. I'm not saying it definitely is, but every time one of the one of the facets of the facets of the team has a chance to step up and make a play, they just they choke or they make the play. And then the opposite side of the ball lets the team go right down the field and score like that. Like that great play that the other team that the that the offense just made just doesn't matter. So I uh, I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on like what you think the big problem is with the team and where you think they need to start to start um, fixing the issues outside of getting healthy. I mean I know that um, that that's a big problem, but like as far as like what do you think of what we need to change personnel wise to fix our issues? All right, Mike. Well, we'll let you go on that note. I mean, as far as personnel changes, it's a matter of getting the guys that they received back last night. I mean, that was really, Paul, the big personnel boost. I don't think that was necessarily uh, another issue that they're looking for a savior in terms of, you know, <laughs> bringing in somebody off the street that's going to save the team. So that's number one. I think you know, Paul and I also highlighted a number of things so far. And, you know, I don't know if the last caller was listening for the majority of the program, but it's the fact that you have penalties, the fact that maybe you got to be a little bit more aggressive and so forth. Now, speaking of changes, with this being said, the Giants have just tweeted out, Paul, that, quote, Jason Garrett has been relieved of his duties as offensive coordinator. So this is, once again, breaking news. As we're literally just about to wrap up this program, the Giants just tweeted out one minute ago that now there will be a change at offensive coordinator. They do not announce who is going to replace Jason Garrett, but it was just tweeted out by the Giants' account that he has been relieved of his duties as offensive coordinator. Well, did you listen to Joe Judge after the game last night? He seemed perplexed, puzzled, disappointed, frustrated. I don't think we could be surprised at anything that ensued after the kinds of things he said following the game. He took it on himself, and he said that he put it on the coaching. And I know I'm paraphrasing it, but that's certainly what he said. All right, we have one more call. Let's get to the call before we wrap up shop here. Pete is on Staten Island. He joins us. What's happening, Pete? All right, guys. Well, uh, you kind of made my day with that last statement, but I'm not, I wasn't going to talk about Garrett, uh, so forget about that. Paulie, I have two issues, with one thing, uh, two issues that you just made a point of, where you were talking about how we're going to evaluate Daniel Jones in his last seven games. As far as I'm concerned, and I, I, I talked about this with you guys about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, where I said the second half of their schedule is a lot softer, okay? And then we went through, you went through the games. You were talking about Kansas City. We were talking about Tampa. I wasn't talking about those two teams. I was talking about from Tampa forward. So I don't think you really can get a good gauge on Daniel over these next six, although over these next seven. Although you still have Dallas ahead, right? You still have, I think, you got the Chargers. The second toughest, right? The second yeah. toughest would, to me would be the Chargers. Outside of them, look, I don't think Philly's as good as what their record is, but their record is what it is. Okay, I think Chicago is horrible. I think Miami is horrible. All right, so if Daniel steps up to the plate against a weaker, a weaker teams, to me, you cannot evaluate over that. Although every NFL team. Look, they're NFL teams, and you got to be you got to play well against every NFL team. I don't care who it is, right? But in my in my estimation, I get a better gauge how they play against much better competition, okay? As opposed to uh, playing against Chicago or Miami or Philly, in my opinion, who's not certainly not that good defensively, by the way. Now, 
Uh, that's so. What? That's one issue I have of what you said about evaluating him over the next seven, because well, I really don't think you can get a true a true read on that. I thought he okay. played well against uh, Washington earlier in the year. I thought he played well against the Saints earlier in the year. And those were two supposedly pretty good defenses. Some people thought that the Panthers' defense was going to present a challenge to him, and he did fine against them. So, yes, I mean, if, if yes, you really want to be fair about this, you have to take those tapes into account, too. Yeah, no, Pete, I, I do. Pete, I the other, the other thing that, that I would say on. is, you know, yes. putting the competition aside, because once again, I just said, I don't think the separation in teams is as huge as people make it out to be. I think, you're, to me, your point would be more, you want to see consistency out of Daniel Jones through these final seven, regardless of the level of competition. That, to me, is what I would be looking for. And, and not getting so caught up in the competition, meaning if Daniel performs one way one game, you want to see at least more of that similarly moving forward as opposed to what Paul was talking about, the stock market. You don't want to see the lines go up and down drastically over these next right. seven games. Right, I would agree with that. Now, my second, the second thing, Paulie, was you were talking about the game. Well, we were in it at 17-10. I didn't think we were in it at 17-10. I really didn't. Tampa controlled the game from beginning through the halftime. No matter what happened, even though the score was 17-10. If we didn't get that pick, and we did, and I'm not going to say, well, we, you know, you can't do that. We, didn't, we did get the pick, right? And we got the ball on the five-yard line, and we finally scored. Okay? But Tampa comes right back, controlling the ball, right down the field, boom, 17-10. So, in my opinion, they were in control of the game from beginning to end. No question about it. And to your point about... Uh, uh, Lance had just made about uh, fans would be happier if 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 the game was let's say that for instance the, the Giants played their hearts out and lost the game thirty to twenty seven. I think every Giant fan would have sold out for that, right, and been very happy with going down there. Brady coming off two losses, their team being embarrassed last week against Washington, going in there and at least showing up. I think at that point you're correct, Lance. The the fans would have been very happy with that. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm sure you guys got a great show coming up tomorrow talking about Garrett. That's going to be fun. And I'm assuming Kitchens will be the man. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Love you. Be well. Right, Pete. Enjoy Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, and once again, we don't have any confirmation, at least from the Giants' perspective, who will replace Jason Garrett. I would agree with Pete. I think Freddie Kitchens is certainly one candidate that comes to mind, given he was a previous play caller. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have Derek Dooley also, who has been a previous head coach. He's been involved in the offense. So you have some internal candidates. But to me, Paul, we'll leave it at this. I think Kitchens is probably in the driver's seat in all likelihood to take over that role. That would be a logical option. Now, whether or not that turns out to be the case, we'll find out. Uh, Joe Judge has a 4 o'clock media briefing that we will be a part of later on today, and obviously Giants.com will post that as soon as it's available. So, uh, you know, we're not going to have long to wait to find out. I mean, look, they got a short week to prepare for Philly. It's not like they can drag their feet on this. 100%. All right, we'll – now wrap things up after a very lengthy conversation. Certainly appreciate the feedback from the callers and the tweeters. Just one reminder here, you can take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant Suite's a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giant Suite rep now calling 888-NYG-1925. And on an unrelated note, the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself, get vaccinated, visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. All right, that is going to wrap Lance, up. Yes. Before we go, I, I just want to add one more comment here. And because everybody, you know, is, is always quick to just point the finger and look for the quick fix. Remember, Jason Garrett did not play offensive line. Uh, Jason Garrett was not the guy who missed a bunch of games because of injury. Um, he, he's a hell of a guy sure. and, a, and a really good football man. And I personally like Jason very much. Uh, but just because he won't be calling the plays uh, from this point forward does not automatically mean the Giants will score 35 points every weekend. 100%. Well, and I think that's well said because there are not necessarily any quick fixes in the NFL, Paul. Right. Which is what you're saying. And the other thing that I want to throw out here, uh, not to elongate the show, but I don't think we should ever celebrate when somebody loses their job. 
Correct. Okay. I, I think that's important to note. I understand fans get frustrated and they call for change, and that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, you know, Jason Garrett's a human being at the end of the day, and somebody did lose their job today as a result of a team struggle. So I don't think overall that should be celebrated across the board. And you I just want to leave it at that. That's going to wrap up today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. We'll be back up and running at 1230 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. Have a good one.